Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Pastor Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a great privilege to be able to meet with you hearty souls, you saints, who faithfully continue to walk in the path that the Lord has placed before us. We are amazingly in the month of February. I am amazed by this because the entire month of January just seemed to fly by. It's funny how in the midst of slowdowns and restrictions on lots of the way of life that we had become accustomed to, in the midst of that, things can seem to move quickly. But for me, at least, it did. And there are two factors that immediately spring to mind when we come to the month of February. The first is that... uh, seminar, (laughs) the March-Spring Seminar here in Dallas for the Saints Network is rapidly approaching. And it's like uh, the starter's bell at the gate of a horse race. Uh, I know that whatever rumination and times of contemplation now has to be put into considerable action in preparing and getting ready for what this year, this semester, will be um, the gathering of the saints virtually. And so um, that's the first thing that comes to the mind. But the second is that for the past, I would say, decade, we have devoted ourselves to a couple of things that are regular parts of our um, annual calendar. The first, of course, was the Fast of Feasting, which 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th month, we did our best and have done our best to honor the principle that God put forward regarding being done with the past, surrendering our woundedness and our bitterness in order to to embrace more adequately the privilege of partnering with him as, as part of the army of God. And it's a principle. It's a principle. Some say, well, you know, You've aligned those with the uh, the Julian calendar, and at the time of uh, the fast of feasting, there were only actually ten months that were observed, and da 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 da. I mean, I I get so tired of the naysayers, don't you? I mean, it's it's funny to me how people can get off on nitpicky things like that and then they strain at a gnat and then they swallow a camel. Um, But that's another topic for another day. But then the Lord said 
and I felt this was very clearly a directive from him, that in the months that were not covered in that fast of feasting regimen, that we should focus on the mind of Christ. And from November through March, we should each month focus on one of the dimensions of the fivefold offices. And part of that was so that we could continually remind ourselves of how those offices are used in Scripture and what they actually mean, both from the standpoint of the individual offices themselves, but secondly, in conjunction with the principle of the five, which is the way God's mind operates. It's when his proclamations are made. So many of the things in Scripture, from uh, the promise to Adam, to the promise to Noah, to Joel's prophecy, to <clears throat> the day of Pentecost, they were all fivefold things. And um, the fivefold doesn't just mean you know, one of the offices or all five offices, it, it really shows that each of those dimensions reflect how God thinks and what he intends to do and perhaps how he intends to establish the vehicle through which that will be done. And so we started by saying in November we would look at the teacher, and then December, the prophet, January, the apostle, February, the evangelist, and then with the ingathering of saints in March, we would focus on the pastor with its threefold responsibility, according to the scriptures, of diversities of tongues and the development of the, the giftings within the people in the church and the ability and the willingness to follow the direction of the Spirit as he changes hands and as he adjusts our course. And so that's what we've done now for many, many years. And it's still a necessary thing because um, we, we have to... The saints are such a rare percentage. And these things that we see clearly in the Word of God are not readily broadcast throughout the general church. And the reason for that is that you got to be willing to do these things for the Lord to illuminate them. And if you aren't doing them, they will they will disintegrate in your thinking and in your pursuits. And I know very clearly what the general church, the general church thinks about apostolic ministry. Listen, I grew up in the general church. I was trained in, in college and in university in a general Pentecostal fundamentalist mentality. And I was very clearly told that there are no apostles today that prophets really aren't for today. And so you just have teachers that populate schools or Sunday school. You have pastors who tend to the sheep and their whims. 
Then you have evangelists that roam around with slick hair and power messages to stir up the people once a year who have died. <laughs> That's it. Now, there is no consideration to what is said in, in Ephesians 4 uh, as to how long those fivefold offices would be. And you have those that would say, well, you know, the missionary is really the apostle. No, it's not. I value the work of the missionary. I mean, I, a lot of my classmates became missionaries, and I appreciate their devotion. But they're not necessarily bringing a, um, a fresh word from God that he's wanting to birth into the world, built upon the foundation of what's there. That's what the apostle is. And... Um, you know, I could go on regarding that, but we were told there is no apostle. And they use some lame verse about, you know, you had to have seen Jesus in the flesh. And then they excused the apostle Paul because Jesus appeared to him in vision, which would, which would say that you have to agree that the Lord does that kind of thing and that uh, it wasn't a one-off because, after all, God is no respecter of persons. Said, you know, I lived it, I heard it, and I watched the the vacillation of doctrine that allowed for certain things, but then disallowed them in our lives. Um, I, I I'm just prophecy became when's Jesus coming and who's the Antichrist? It was solely aimed at an eschatological foundation. When prophecy, we're supposed to be coveting to prophesy. We're supposed to be moving as prophets today and, and knowing how to hear the heart of God and to speak when he says to speak in a prophetic way. So I think that it's important for us, and even those who believe in the, quote, fivefold, don't necessarily adopt a scriptural a scriptural foundation for what they say. I've heard a lot of nonsense that is not based on scripture. That's taught through a lot of the the avant-garde Pentecostal groups. I remember one time being in France at a conference that was devoted to the apostle. And I was asked to teach and I was surprised when I got there that I had over 70% of the sessions. And so I began to teach about what the Scripture says about the Apostle, and it was totally, totally different than what they were prepared to hear. Because in most places, the Apostle has now become what um, many years ago was the general. And uh, it just became a term that meant you've got some you got some spark in you, and you've got an anointing, and you can attract a crowd and inspire people. Um, but that's not what the apostle really is scripturally. But anyway, we, we have to keep focusing every year on these scriptural definitions of the five offices. And we also need to remind ourselves of how God thinks, and the declarations he makes. And so every month we would take one of these offices and say, Lord, 
We welcome this dimension. Let us think like you. Let us uh, welcome the impartation and the anointing of this dimension of your mind and your identity. And that's a noble effort. And it's a necessary effort because, look, we can forget. We can, we can become dumbed down by circumstances or by inactivity or by the pressures of this world. And if we don't stay current, we will lose what we have. So February means to me an emphasis on the evangelist. Now, the evangelist is not some guy or woman with slick hair who has seven or eight sermons. There was an evangelist here in North Texas that my youth pastor said that among all the youth pastors in in this district, they called this guy by a a name that he only had seven sermons, and they were well-oiled and they were slick. I bless the guy. I never heard him, but there's a difference between being a fiery preacher who can move people to the altar and being an evangelist. We may need to come up with a designation to describe that kind of an individual, but it's certainly not the evangelist, any more than Billy Graham was an evangelist. Billy Graham was a great salvation preacher. I I have the utmost respect for him, but he would go around the world. I sang in his choirs a couple of times. It was an exciting thing. I remember just as a a kid, I was 10 years old singing alto in the uh, Billy Graham Crusade Choir at uh, the stadium on the campus of the University of Pittsburgh. That That was terrific. I thought that was great. But to me, at least, Billy Graham did not really paved the way for an apostolic message. He preached repentance. And in the, in the Southern Baptists, you really, and I have some wonderful friends who are that, uh, of that Christian persuasion, but they don't really believe in the, in the dimensions of the Holy Spirit in the way Pentecostals believe. And so there was a limit. Billy Graham served a function. Maybe he was more of an apostle of a salvation message. And he did function in a mighty way. But to call him an evangelist, to me, met the standard of, um, of what the general church would think it is. But it, for, from a scriptural perspective, the true measure of the evangelist is made up of two words. One, eu, which is the, uh, the New Testament version of Tob. It's, um, it's the goodness of God's eternal purpose. And evangelistes, which speaks about um, being a messenger. Like an, it's the word from angelus. It's the angel. And we see that for an evangelist, they are setting the stage for what 
the the church is wanting to should be going into as uh, in an apostolic way um, and so <clears throat> we we know today that if if you are going to like for instance an angel what does an angel do an angel should represent as a messenger what God has commissioned them to do at any particular junction. Now, some angels are created to serve in a, a very um, devoted way on behalf of an ongoing um, eternal purpose. Some angels, like Gabriel, are representative communicators of messages. This isn't a sermon on angels. Maybe we should do that sometime. But um, the, uh, the, the main thing for <clears throat> being a messenger is that in this way is that you come and you initiate something. You come and you initiate. Like, for instance, who was the most, now Jesus arguably was the most important character in the nativity scene. But the angel, Gabriel, made a statement to Mary, to Zacharias, and to Joseph. But who were the main characters in those conversations? Well, it was Mary and Zacharias and Joseph. So the angel set the stage for what would be a, an incredible partnership with God. When the angels came and spoke, and, and declared triumphantly glory to God in the highest to the shepherds, that indicated the beginning of something, the birth of Jesus. But the angels themselves were not that birth. And the shepherds were directed by those angels to go and participate in that birth of really what the Bible calls as an apostolic mission from the Father through Jesus. So, in that respect, an angel sets the stage for and heralds what the main thing is. In the, in the ancient world, uh, the, you know, euangelistes was only found once, and I get this for some of you purists, um, there, there was an inscription found in, on the island of Rhodes in, in Greek. It described a euangelistes, not in the church, but just in the way that term was used, as somebody who proclaimed what the oracle had said. And that's kind of an interesting thing, because in the Greek culture, you had oracles who were really those who were purveyors of, of divination who um, who supposedly heard from the the gods quote unquote and they would proclaim things that were demonically prophetic and so if a euangelistes was a herald of that then it really does 
come into alignment with what we've just been saying. It's not necessarily the apostle. Now, I read in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament that this is what, that's what they said. This is what they said. They said that all apostles were evangelists, but not all evangelists were apostles. Um, I don't, I know that makes sense in some ways, but I don't necessarily agree with it because, you know, the apostle recognizes the need in the fivefold structure of the evangelist. And um, if the apostle was an evangelist, even though we do the work of the evangelist, we carry on with the work of preserving the, the influx of what God wants to do. But if every apostle was an evangelist, you wouldn't need an evangelist because the main job of the evangelist is to proclaim the advent of the apostolic messenger and to then solidify what has been released. You're a messenger of the good purpose, but not necessarily the one birthing that. And see, the enemy comes in and he brings jealousies and he brings, you know, if you're called to be a messenger, you better just get it in your head that somebody else is probably going to be given the word. Oh, we've struggled with that here. Oh, dear God, has the enemy messed with that and created schism at every level. And it's just frustrating to see it because people don't understand. They're not willing to accept what it is that they're called to do, what it is that they are divinely anointed to do. <clears throat> you know, I used to hear, <clears throat> well, maybe they think they've got a message too. Well, I've never stood in the way of somebody preaching or gaining insights from the Spirit. I mean, we need that. But you can't have 15 apostolic words. I mean, at some point, you got to say, is this a divine word that sets the course for this people? And we, we embrace it on behalf of the Father. Nobody can serve two masters. And, you know, I've seen some people who've left here saying, you know what, we, we don't want to go along with the message of the saints because we're being stifled, you know, we're being held back. And then they go off and they use their gifts to swallow whole demonic doctrine and spew that out. Always messengering somebody else's message, but they don't want to be where God's, uh, God appointed them to serve in an apostolic structure. Do you see that? It's, it's frustrating to me. Because you cannot, you cannot legislate that evangelists do their job. You know, one of the things that I see is Philip is the most well-known evangelist in the Scripture. And he went and he began to preach. He encountered Simon the sorcerer. And then as soon as Peter and John came down, Peter, uh, Philip was caught away found himself with, uh, or, or he, he, he subsequently then went and, <clears throat> excuse me, ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch and then was caught away to Azotus, and then he preached on his way back to Caesarea. 
So Philip didn't say, what are you boys doing here? You know, this is mine. You know, this city is mine. Look at these works I've done. No, if you're a messenger, you, you, you don't do that. It doesn't matter what, you know, and Philip was married to a woman who had prophetic giftings and he had four daughters who were all prophets. Man, they could start a church with that kind of anointing. Now, Philip was one of the seven. Even then, he didn't consider himself an apostle. He, those guys, the apostles, were devoting themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Philip was one of the seven, the Bible clearly says, and he was supposed to be full of faith and power, but he was supposed to make sure that the Hebrews and the Greeks didn't kill each other when they argued over the widows and every other thing that the enemy would try to stir up. Philip could have said, well, I'm an evangelist, I'm full of faith and power, especially when he got caught away and was dropped down into Azotus. Man, that would have filled his resume. When he got home, his wife would say, what are you going to do with this? You know, you should be ambitious. You should let your gifts shine. No, we don't see that, do we? I remember one time I was teaching about Philip, and I made the mistake of saying that Philip was uh, very active in Jerusalem and that he lived there. Well, he lived in Caesarea, which was about arguably, some places you look, it says 50 miles, other places this is 70 miles. You don't really, really know where his house was. Google Earth wasn't there at that point. So he could have lived south or north of Caesarea. We don't know that. But somehow, he was active in Jerusalem. Because if he wasn't, he would not have been appointed as one of the seven to manage what was going on within the church in Jerusalem. <clears throat> I tell you, sometimes... People are just stupid smart. I mean, they, they, they just strain at gnats and swallow camels. But the point, though, is that Philip served in a role that prepared the way. And he hung out with prophets. That must have been a weird thing. You know, once we encounter another, uh, we encounter a prophet named Agabus. One time Paul and his group were going and they were visiting at Philip's house. And Agabus comes down, and you read the story. He does, a, he does an illustrated prophecy, and he binds Paul's hands and feet and says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. Some, some prophets, there was a guy that we met in Lyon, and he was uh, an Italian guy. They all considered him to be an evangelist, but he was also, quote, prophetic. And he came in and started all kinds of crazy things. And he said supportive things about our ministry, but some things that were just absolutely wrong and misguided. And there was nobody there to bring him into alignment. You know, evangelists are up and they're down because, because of the way they're built and at one point, they're, they're all over the place. They're so excited. And in the next point, they're lower than the ground. And they, the thing is, they don't really even recognize that swing. But it's there. And the point is, is that they need to stay. They need to keep their engine running before the Lord. And they need to be, forgive me for this illustration, but they need to be like a hunting dog. 
And when God says, all right, you need to, you need to either um, trumpet call this thing that I'm doing in conjunction with your apostolic alignment, they need to be ready to do that, but then they need to be able to draw down and keep those fires stoked because so often the pilot light of an evangelist goes out and then the gas that's there asphyxiates everybody else. Then you got to pray that they'll get lit again. And that shouldn't be. And it's all because I wouldn't say it's manic depressive. I wouldn't say it's ADD, but it's evangelist. And you know, sometimes there was a guy in uh, Switzerland uh, who was an evangelist, and he decided that he was going to pastor for a while. I guess he was tired of the road. But he was an evangelist that really was a fiery preacher. He had an anointing to draw people, uh, not as an artist, but to, you know, to uh, summon people to come. And so he builds this church, and, but he had no desire to pastor the church. And after a couple of years, all these people that came and disrupted other churches and came with him, he, he left that place and created great harm to a lot of people because he just didn't understand what his gift was. Some evangelists would just be uh, gathering large crowds of people, and then when they were off the stage, they didn't know what to do with themselves. They'd hit the bottle or they'd um, chase things they shouldn't chase, and they entered into depression. And I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm saying that the true capacity of an evangelist, a breakthrough element, which is necessary, it is needful, is something that should be understood um, and Anybody with that proclivity, you need to know your place before God and don't let your ambitions or anybody else's ambitions persuade you to do something you shouldn't do. You know, William Branham had tremendous giftings in the spirit realm. He, um, he had angelic encounters and tremendous healings occurred. Signs and wonders were known and they were legitimate. He was more of an evangelist uh, of the latter rain. And God opened the eyes of people that there was something beyond what they've known. And Gordon Lindsay, who founded CFNI, was somewhat of his publicist and his manager. And some yahoos came and started stoking Branham's ego and said, you know what, it's time to mass evangelize. You know, we can help you to get more money and to have greater impact. And these guys were shysters, but they hit that vulnerability and they led Branham away. And Lindsay saw through it. I'm just paraphrasing here. I mean, I I have a great deal of respect for CFNI. You know, uh, my when I interned here with Pastor Noah at Oak Cliff Assembly, I stayed at CFNI. My father-in-law was over 
uh, security and maintenance for the for the school. And so I have great respect. You know, Sister Lindsay came to my, our wedding and was very, very kind woman. But Branham, it wasn't very long until he was haywire. And a lot of the things that I think Lindsay helped him to keep under control, he now was saying with reckless abandon, and it's a shame. So and a, a true evangelist needs to recognize their gifting and cherish it. But shouldn't be their their ego and the, the ideas of other people um, shouldn't lead them down a pathway of destruction. And it often does. So they either let themselves be destroyed because of their mood swings or they let themselves be destroyed because you get people that come and scratch the itch and before you know it, that itch becomes a sore and it becomes infected and they're gone. And there's really no redemption for them. I know they could have redemption. But it's tell me one that fell away that ever was able to come back. Uh, it's it's just it's difficult. It, it's difficult, and you know you see those kinds of things, um, and it, it's really tragic. But every one of these fivefold offices has their own challenges, and every one of them does. But I would say that in some ways. Iniquity, insecurity, jealousy, pride is, the, um, is the, the basis for a lot of failures. And so, um, I, as I look at the evangelist in this month, I recognize those factors. And um, I recognize that we as a saints network with our mission, we need to believe that the anointing from God, not necessarily a person, but the, the anointing from God, that creativity, that breakthrough. Um, you know, we, we looked at the progressions, like in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul was speaking about the tetheme, God sowing into the church the um, the fivefold offices, and I, I gave a scripture for you out of Ephesians. Um, when Jesus ascended, he gave some apostles, some prophets, um, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. But then Paul, and, and Acts 21 speaks about Philip, um, and um, when Paul went there and uh, uh, Azotus comes down, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, uh, Timothy was encouraged to do the ergon or to welcome that capacity of the evangelists within the church. But when, when Paul speaks about the fivefold offices, we've studied this and we've lined it up. So, and and it, 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 we lined the scripture up. So what we're saying makes sense scripturally. But he mentions the apostle, the teacher, and the um, the prophet, but then he describes capacities that are the pastor and the evangelist, and the evangelist really is a um, a person that 
sets the stage for grace, grace remedies. Gifts of healings are grace remedies. EMI, caris, uh, EMI, those two terms, grace remedies. In, in, the, New, in the Old Testament, Rophe was healing, it was restoration. In the New Testament, therapuo and eomai were the two major words for uh, healing. Um, I, um, so therapy, we get our word therapy from therapuo, but eomai was a solution. It was a, something that people would do uh, to adjust themselves that would bring about remedy. Do you know... That is a major source of healing. A lot of times people throw medicines at, at issues, and it, you, what you really need is a remedy that will restore proper function. You don't need to just keep treating the, um, the symptoms. And so those two things in the New Testament. So the evangelist is a grace remedy, first of all, and then a working of miracles, a dunamis, to bring back function. So those two capacities are evangelistic. We need that. This coming Saturday is First Saturday Prayer for our Saints Network. Around the world, people will be praying, and we've asked for uh, that prayer emphasis to be, Lord, let the anointing of the evangelist come upon us. If there was ever a time in our walk as saints together that we need an inspired measure of breakthrough for the apostolic message, it's now. We need creativity, grace remedies. We need the dunamis function of the Lord. Um, and we need, you know, Philip um, function together with the prophets. Hard not to when your house has got five of them, and those houses weren't like Highland Park mansions. They they were all stuck together. Can you imagine that having four daughters that were the Bible says virgins who were all prophets, who prophesied? And you wonder about that. Wonder, wonder why none of them were married. Not that they have to be, not that a woman has to be married to fulfill her function, but, you know, in that society, right or wrong, that is kind of a strange thing. To have all these girls there and no suitors. I imagine it would be difficult to get, to marry a, a prophetess. Um, let alone coming from a household of prophets. I mean that that you'd have to be a special man to to fit in there. And Philip, oh my goodness, he uh, you can see why he went out into the wilderness and was more than willing to accept <laughs> accept the Lord's direction. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna get in trouble for that whole discussion, I know. Um, so, uh, but, but we need, we need to have the divine capacity of the evangelist to be visited upon our calling. 
not in the person of, a, of an individual, but in the a dispensation from God. We want full proof of our ministry, as, as <clears throat> Paul wrote to Timothy. So we, we have to have that work of an evangelist. We have to have it. Uh, it has to be working in us. And so we need we need to see that in order for our calling, our unique message to enjoy the measures of breakthrough that God has ordained for them to manifest. And so, you know, you read like, for instance, in... Um, in that Ephesians 4:11 verse that is our signature verse for this topic verse 12 says for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We're seeing that today, aren't we? Man, oh man. So we need all of these capacities. And we're, we're very grateful as saints to be given a, a message of what it means to be a saint, uh, a message that talks about the the meat of the scripture, doctrinal understandings from the word based in scripture that are not commonly seen, and and a calling to raise up sons and intercessors around the world. And God has done that. We haven't done that. We don't have some media machine that says, we'll get you in all these nations. God has done that miraculously. And he didn't do it to let it stop. So we need, we need breakthrough. We have a bevy of prophetic voices, and we try to get our, our people aligned with gleaning how to gain prophetic insight scripturally, teaching from a pneumatikos perspective, that's a core element for us. Pastors, every one of our churches and prayer groups are based in communing with diversities of tongues, interpreting, having our gifts developed as the Lord has given them and uh, in, under his tutelage to see them formed, and, and then to follow the leading of the spirit um i i i think we should recognize that we as saints are functioning in this fivefold capacity but we need in these days in this year of the prophet we need uh, a release of an evangelistic anointing for grace remedies for the explosiveness of restoration and for um, the uh, 
the partnership with the Spirit that sets the stage through divine encounters, we need that. And um, I think that as we pray on this coming first Saturday weekend, we, we do so knowledgeably uh, on what the Scriptures really say this capacity is. And we, we need that innovation, so we welcome that. We welcome it with all of its dimensions. Um, and so there, there's going to be a directive sent out if it's not already gone out. But I wanted, and I really felt the Lord was inspiring me to want to do this to just speak a little bit about the evangelist and what we're actually praying concerning. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord for the way he's brought us to this point. But we need to be really mature in our going forward on behalf of the things that God has shown and you know, the perfecting of the saints is still going on. And also there are winds of doctrine and the slight of man and cunning craftiness that's trying to take people away. Been pretty successful at it. But we need to stand. And we need to be strong. And we need to partner with what the mind of Christ has said we as saints are supposed to be in this day and in preparing the way for what is coming biblically according to the timetable of God. But with that, we need the evangelist. This is the year where we believe God is prophetically moving. Our seminar next month is titled The Prophet. But, you know, Philip the only person who was really identified as an evangelist lived in a house full of prophets. And obviously prophets were welcome in his house. And so I believe that the evangelistic capacity wants to come on us in this year of the prophet and really set the stage for what God is has ordained to do. Now, one other thing. Um, when we have had this time of, we've been busy, we've been, we've been working, but we've been hindered in our ability to travel and to do a lot of the conferences and in-person gatherings that we had planned for last year and that we wanted to do this coming year. And I think that there's a combination of things that are indicated therein. First of all, the enemy thinks he stopped us. That's always the case. The enemy's always trying to stop, and he's always trying to make you feel that he's won. But the main thing that's happening is that this has been a time where God has been causing us to be in that waiting period. When the enemy comes in one way, there's a sevenfold breakthrough. That's there, but 
there's also, for the great harvest that's coming, we've been allowed to, to see God restoring, strengthening, supplying, letting in, 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 like in winter, the first part of that harvest season, God allowing the soils of faith to become rejuvenated and an anticipation. <clears throat> so you got, you got two views of winter. It can be the cold, dark winter that Joe Biden forecast. It could be the winter that Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog, says um, is coming. Um, you can be downcast and despairing. Or you can say, it's winter, but summer's coming. Spring's coming first, then summer, then harvest. Are you anticipating that? We need the evangelists to the capacity to help us to welcome that breakthrough. And I believe that what God has done, it has been an unprecedented time of worldwide waiting. And the breakthrough is going to be fantastic. But we've got to have the proper perspective and the mindset and we need to welcome the evangelistic anointings to energize and empower that breakthrough. It's just the way God does things. Um, and I know, I mean, I grew up in a place where winter was really forecast. I mean, and it was profound. Here in Texas, I love the winters here. We don't get much snow at all. A flurry is a cause to shut the schools. Um, one day it's 28 degrees. The next day it's 75. Yeah, it's winter. I, I kind of like that. I, I don't miss shoveling snow. But I remember growing up when the snows would come, you could, you could see the clouds burgeoning and you could just feel it and then you'd get snow. Sometimes you'd get a big amount of snow and it was pretty and everything was just pristine and you could sled ride, you could build forts, you could throw snowballs, you know, because the roads were cleared pretty soon. You know, salt, it ate up the roads, chains, snow tires, it, you know, it ripped the roads to pieces, but you could get around. But then winter just was cold. And that pretty white snow was dirty, grungy along the sides of the roads. And, you know, there would be patches of snow in the, in the yard. And it just, it was just, and it was cold. It just looked gross. And you'd, you'd think, when is winter going to be over? And if you're not careful, people get depressed. Keep your perspective Keep your perspective. Don't let Washington set your perspective. Don't let the, <clears throat> the nonsense of the pro progressive knee-jerk reactions chart your psyche. Be wise and know that God is in control. He has not lost control.
control. And we need to believe for the capacity of the evangelist. We need to believe for that anointing to make a way for the things that we know God has given us to do apostolically. And yes, it's in conjunction with the, the prophetic. Uh, we need all of these. These are God's thoughts. This is how he proclaims throughout Scripture. And now the other factor is how God does a thing, and that's his ways, and it's usually in a sevenfold way in Scripture, but that's another teaching. For us today, as we approach this weekend, this first weekend in February, I encourage you to wholeheartedly embrace our request to the Lord as we submit to him for the evangelistic message to be um, imparted in us and that anointing and that capacity, setting the stage for our unique apostolic calling and the various things that we are, final thing. Our message is our identity. We are the saints. We are his sons. We are to be joint heirs with Christ. The way that message has been proclaimed is through the pneumatikos understandings, the deeper things of the Scripture. And that's indicated in our teacher's capacity. We prophesy. We have prophets and we prophesy. We die to self, marturia, so that, so that we can proclaim a prophet that's not willing to die is not really a prophet, according to what Jesus, uh, you know, in the book of Revelation, spirit of prophecy is the testimony, the martyria of Jesus. You've got to be willing to, to die to self to fulfill what the Father has given you to do. That's what prophecy is. And yes, you'll proclaim, and yes, you're for, you're foretell, and you're for, you'll for, foretell. We, we keep the fires burning as pastors uh, and in our homes in prayer, diversities of tongues, allowing our individual gifts to be developed and to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. And we need this evangelistic breakthrough. It's, an, it's like a catalyst. We are heralds of the oracle. Not necessarily the one that is the oracle, but heralds of that message. So, be faithful to pray this weekend and send your insights into the proper channels that uh, you all well know. Uh, know that we're praying for you. Please be in prayer for me and for Yuwali this coming Friday as we begin semester three of our leadership teachings uh, for the nation of Brazil. Pray for us. Our theme this time is the individual calling, the tetheme anointing in a person, and the, the sum of the Old Testament, the kami of the new, embracing the identity. And I'm very, very grateful. So, 
thanks for joining. I know we've been all over the map today, but uh, what did you expect? <laughs> we speak blessing over you. We continue to declare the blood of Jesus over you and your life. And um, until Sunday um, with uh, our live stream and certainly this weekend before the throne, may God bless you. Goodbye.